Welcome to the Self-Evident and Forgotten Podcast, a show with conversations on the truths of liberty and odd opinions. We're your hosts, Stanton, Christy, and Cody. As always, the opinions we express are ours and ours alone, and they don't necessarily reflect those of our employers or any other organization we may belong to. Wherever you are, and however you're listening and whatever you're doing, thanks for tuning in. Now relax and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Self-Evident and Forgotten. We are your hosts, Stanton, Christy, and Cody. Welcome back, everyone. It's been a while. Liberty lovers alike share common values, a principle of limited government, a belief in the fundamental equal dignity and rights of all people, and an enduring sense that freedom is not only an effective foundation for society, but a moral one. However, there are times when we can have serious disagreements with real impact, not only on policy, but on the movement for freedom itself. And today we are going to conclude with our final installment of the Great Debate series. We've done an immigration, we've done intellectual property, and we've done big tech. Today we tackle the very tricky subject of children. Namely, do parents own their children? But first, the random question of the episode, Christine Cody, it has been a long time, no see. What random thing has happened in the last month since we last saw each other? Hmm. Oh, so I went to a county in Colorado that a ton of people have never been to, um, Hinsdale County. And I learned as, I learned something very interesting. The entire county is, it is impossible to pass through the center of the county because there is no road that goes straight through the entire county because about 97% of the county is public lands. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say like, is it agriculture? Nope. It's worse. You have no, uh, mostly federal lands. And so it's this forest that's largely designated a wilderness and there is no road through it. So to get to the south end of the county, they have to drive around over three hours to get to the other end of their own county. That's so. absurd. Isn't there, isn't there a thing where uh, you, you can't sue the government when they decimate, where, where they diminish the value of your property? Isn't that a thing? Like there's, uh, like, if they ta- like if they take sure. your property, right? Yeah, they have to, they have to, no, I mean, no, they have to compensate you fair value, but if they do something and it harms the value of your property, there's no guarantee one way or the other, right? Right. You can sue them under a taking, under like a regulatory taking for taking the fair market value of your property. You just may not win it. But I was going to say, what, what's the success rate on that kind of <laughs> There's a There was a recent case out of South Carolina dealing with some like f- fancy beachfront property, when I say recent, like three years ago, that mm-hmm. um, more firmly established the principle. So Christy came to a federal... Re- uh, I guess you call it a reserve of some kind, a federal reserve <laughs> county. Cody, how about yourself? I may or may not have saved a guy's life. Oh, tell wow. Me yeah. So I went out to Houston to go and tour some federal sites and to um, go to a shooting event that was being held just north of in Conroe, Texas, which is just north of Houston. Uh, it was a sporting clays tournament. So anybody who's ever shot sporting clays before, it's like golf with shotguns. Um, so you get in a golf cart, you go to your different holes. And at each hole, there's a pair 
of clays and you see what they look like. And then you get to shoot usually like five rounds of two, and then you sure. move on to the next hole and you can do nine, 12, 18 holes. So it's kind of sporting clays is what they call it. Um, so it was an exceptionally rainy, rainy day. We, we pulled up to our first hole, um, kind of stepped back and, and I was shooting with a couple guys that work with the truth about guns, uh, editors and their other lawyers as well. And one of the guys was unloading the ammo from the back of the golf cart. And I heard like a loud creak and I looked over and a tree that was about two feet in diameter was falling over. Oh no. Um, and so I like yelled, watch out, basically black out next thing. Like I come back to, and like, he's standing next to me. Apparently I grabbed him and pulled him out of the way. And the tree had like smashed the back end of the golf cart, like right where he was standing. So, wow. Oh. Okay, that sounds wow. about right. You at least that's saved crazy. him a hospital visit. That's for certain. Oh yeah, it was a it was a it was a big tree. It was a the golf cart was destroyed, uh, and then we went out and I shot an eighty, which is like a real eighty out of a hundred, which is a solid round. So very nice, two very for two. Nice. <laughs> which one are you more proud of, like the eighty or saving his life? I mean, I, I've <laughs> shot eighties before. <laughs> uh, beat my handicap. I didn't lead this story with, I shot an 80. <laughs> Man, that's wow. Yeah. Okay. So my round of thing was not nearly as cool as federal reserve or saving guys life. I visited Portland. Uh, I mentioned that in our. <laughs> wow. That's random. Yeah, talking about random. That's basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I, I mentioned this in our corner host, that little 10 minute thing we did last time, but, uh, yeah, I visited Portland uh, uh, for uh, two friends getting married. Um, I love the people from Portland. Don't like the city. It's a. Uh, <clears throat> I don't have a lot of nice words. <laughs> it's better than New York, but that's, that's not, not nice hard word. to do. That's not hard <laughs> <Yeah>. to do. <laughs> I have uh, horror stories about New York that we'll have to share sometime later, but um, not. Uh, no, don't like, I don't like cities. I don't like Denver. I don't like Portland. I don't like New York. I just don't like cities. I love Fort Collins where I live, but that's not really a city. It's just like one sprawling suburb with a couple of nice little shopping centers around. It's nice. I like it, but yeah, yeah my random last time I went into like Denver proper. Like I have no idea. I, anytime I do, I just go like, nah, yuck. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go there. So yeah. I like cities though. Your headquarter like, there. What? Your headquarter there, right? Uh, thankfully, no. We're headquartered uh, in Arapahoe County, thankfully. Well, you, you represent the fine people of Denver County. So yeah, you have to go in. Yes. Fun fact. Everywhere. You, you can drive directly through the center of Denver County. <laughs> Unlike <laughs> <Kingsville> County. <laughs> very observant. Very observant. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I'm a man um, of, of many knowledge. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sure there are children that live all over the place. Um, I have no other segues. I, I have no other segues. <laughs> Wait, what was the county you're at? Because they definitely don't live in the middle of the county Christy was at. Yeah, they don't. I mean, I, who knows? Maybe we got some like wild children experimentation going on. I don't know. <laughs> you know, who knows? This is this is the thing that psychologists dream of studying. Like, ooh, a child that had no parents. Let's see what happened. <laughs> I'm going to recommend they not listen to this episode. No, we don't take, do that. We take one time off and just downhill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is why we this is why we must have discipline and focus and 
all that other jazz that makes big podcasts successful. Anyway, so <laughs> um, <clears throat> children, they are the future. That is the line that every politician said because it's actually the thing that's true that comes out of their mouths. Children are the future. This has always been the case. Um, they are the essential component in building, sustaining, growing a flourishing society. And parents, uh, for better or worse, are charged with raising them to be model citizens and members of their communities, whatever that might mean. And together they form the, uh, the family unit and uh, the, the building block of Western society, of any society, whether it be the nuclear family or multi-tiered families. Um, but there's a question that laws have to grapple with that we should grapple with too. And it's, is a parent of a child, uh, is the parent the guardian of their child? making them something of a free person under a temporary custodial production? Or is it, or is the parent the property owner of a child, rendering the child property and having autonomy over the child's life completely? And, you know, most people, the, def, def, uh, the, the default position would be that parents are guardians. After all, wouldn't owning a kid make them property and aren't humans as property slavery? And isn't that morally questionable? <laughs> but if they're just a guardian, then the guardianship can be revoked and removed, couldn't it? Couldn't it be nullified by a more appropriate guardian, whatever that might mean? And how exactly do we determine when the guardianship ends? So guardianship is not quite cut and sealed. And of course, on the, on the other hand, if parents are property owners, then like I said, we have a clear moral dilemma on slavery. <clears throat> that said, if they are property owners, it does provide a clear absolute near or near absolute right to protect the child from any interference whatsoever. Supposedly you have good, strong property laws, but um, I'm not even going to pretend to guess which one you are um, because only one of us is a parent here. Only one of us is a parent. So they're going to have a very strong case here. Um, so I'm just going to toss this over to you guys and tell me, what do you guys think? Are parents property owners or guardians? And yeah, and why? I guess Cody, since Christy went first, do you go first? I can go first. I feel like Christy should take the lead, though. She's the one that like actually has kids and has any sort of experience in this. Um, but I mean, so obviously, in my view, uh, parents are not property owners. You can't own, people aren't property. You can't own people. I, those are just fundamental tenets. If you don't own yourself as a human being, then all other, everything else that we're talking about, everything else that we're arguing about is deeply flawed. Um, if you can't assert your own ownership. Now, that being said, um, children are a little bit more of a difficult question um, I fall into, I wouldn't necessarily use the guardian word, although it's probably akin to what I'm going to describe. I, I use the trustee word. Um, the idea that basically a parent is kind of the trustee of their child. So they have the, you know, guiding direction of that individual. So long as that guiding direction is for the benefit of that individual. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with like a legal trustee relationship, Essentially, you could put assets or property or money in a trust. You designate a beneficiary. That's the person that is supposed to benefit from the assets, the money, or the property. 
And then you designate a trustee. And that trustee is the person that controls the property assets or money in a way so that the person, the beneficiary benefits the most or benefits based on the terms of the, the agreement or the contract or the trust. So that's kind of how I, I, the best way of like, if you're looking at this philosophically, obviously in like a pragmatic scenario, if like, you know, your kid isn't going to bed, like I doubt you go like, I'm your trustee. And like, this is for your greatest benefit. <laughs> like I'm sure Christie's used that argument plenty of times, like explained the trustee beneficiary relationship to an angry two-year-old. I think Statutory that's Statutory number 3033. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So like, because that really, to me, right. So you have some management authority over your child's life. You are doing, you are managing their life for the benefit of their own life for the future. And then once you get into issues, then that same relationship would apply, right? So if a trustee embezzles from the trust, then they can be kicked out. They're not a good trustee. If a parent does something to objectively negatively impact a child's life, that's when people can get involved. So we'll explore this in more depth, but like that's basically how I see the, the parent-child relationship. Chrissy, you pretty much kind of on that on that same level. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially with the core statements that Cody said, like you cannot own another person. People are not property. Um, if you, if any human being cannot have a right in their own person <laughs> without someone else owning their rights to a higher degree than they do, I mean, we're in big trouble. And, and I guess we've seen that throughout history, even American history. Hey, I, one little interesting historical tidbit I found when I was researching this is in 1874 in America was the actually first time we ever had a child abuse case go in a court and actually have child abuse recognized. And at the time, children were, were actually considered the property of their parents. And this child could not, like no one who tried to help her could get the courts to do anything until it was finally actually um, an animal rights organization that existed even back then that brought her case and they made the argument to the judge that, hey, we wouldn't even allow this treatment of a dog or a cat. Someone would be in trouble with the law if they treated their dog or cat and abused and neglected them in this way. So at least a child should be treated the same. Uh, and the court agreed and said, okay, yeah, I guess that's right. And so that was the first documented case of child abuse um, against a parent in the United States. Uh, so obviously we've come a very long way from there, but even go back into the 1800s in America and women were largely considered the property of their husbands. I mean, they had no legal entity separate from their husbands. Like they couldn't vote, they couldn't own property. Um, and so I think we've just seen a lot of damaging results and that's not even to address the issue of slavery because that one's super, super obvious. Mm. Um, anytime one human being says, I own you, your rights are subject to my will and my whims we get into trouble. So we've come a very long way from there. I um probably picking um picking sides a little too much. Um I think I'd go more with the guardian argument than the trustee argument. I like Cody's explanation. Yeah, um, I, would, I, I, I for, definitely for me, but I think for most people, I don't know what the difference between a trustee and guardian is. I would I would imagine so I mean Cody, you say trustee, right? You know, there's a trust and whatnot. To me, that presupposes that there's someone that established the trust and that there's someone that can intervene in the trust. Who would that person be or institution? And why is that different from guardian? Chris, I think you're about to talk about that difference. I just want to throw that out there. I would like a definitional difference between the two. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in what Cody's going to say too, but I think a difference that I understand is that a trustee tends to control assets. Like they tend to control usually money, but sometimes property and a guardian tends to be responsible for basically the entire life of the person who they have guardianship over. So like you'll see a guardian often appointed for a disabled person, or perhaps someone who's in like a vegetative state in the hospital. Like they'll often have guardians appointed or children who are going through the court system will have guardians ad litem appointed while the rights of their parents are sort of being debated by courts because the child's being abused. Um, so instead of solely being entrusted with the assets and the distribution and use of the assets in the interests of the person, you're actually in charge of more it, to care for their entire life and all of their interests and to provide for them and to protect them. So just a broader range of responsibility is the difference I would I would say. Uh, yeah, I, I'm using the word trustee in like the obviously a non-legal. So you're right. The trustees generally manage assets. Guardian is the legal term for a caregiver. The reason why I don't use the word guardian or I don't, I, I, as I was thinking this through, um, actually one of my colleagues really helped me clarify this like idea of like using the term trustee made a lot more sense for me is because first guardian is a legal term. Guardians are legally appointed uh, by a court and guardians are given a lot of leeway because they generally, the reason why a guardian is appointed is because a person is adjudicated by a court as unable to care for themselves, right? So that could be a child, it could be an adult, it could be all those things. I don't like the legal connotations that come along with the word guardian um, because it presupposes an a, uh, involvement of a court. You don't necessarily need a court to have a trustee relationship sort of thing. I'm also talking in small cat, like non-legal terms. So it's, it pretty much is the same thing. Um, the other side is that guardianships, because it's a legal status has to be legally dissolved. Whereas in my view, so I'm not, and this is going to bring us down a different rabbit hole. I care very little for the age of majority. Um, right, a state established date by which you become adult is irrelevant to me. And I see the trustee relationship between a parent and a child much more as you are the uh, governing the direction of their life until they choose to take control of their own life. And I, I think that that's a tough question. But, you know, I moved out of the house when I was 17 and lived on my own, paid my own bills, right? But in the eyes of the state, I was still subject to my parents' control. So you get into these really weird situations, right? And I know kids that were, I mean, I was kicked out of the house pretty early at times. I know kids that were kicked out at 15 and never went home again, right? Are they still the property of their parent? And Don't worry, we are going to go down this rabbit hole of when, <laughs> of what competency means and yeah. how we judge that. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get there. But the, uh, I don't know, it, it feels, so by the way, semi-random, but related, you're talking about guardianship and court appointed guardians a recent netflix movie uh, starring rosamund pike and peter dinklage called i care a lot so is good a, it's terrifyingly good yes it's, and it's mm -hmm. it, it, it chrissy watch I it, didn't see it. No. it's not a family movie so it's, no. it's, it's a date night movie um, exercise your trusteeship of your children and do not <laughs> allow them to view this movie but it, it's <laughs> okay. it talks about what if you get predatory entrepreneurs who say, wait a minute, if I could be appointed the guardian of an old individual that's, you know, may or may not be mentally sane, and if I'm a guardian, I can do what I want. I can sell their property. 
keep the proceeds for myself, put them in a home, cut them off from their family who would actually take the care of them. So it, it explores the extreme example of this. Hmm. Um, but it, Cody, you bring that up because that that's a big problem about, and this is what I'm getting into, whether it's a guardian appointed by the court or a trustee, there's got to be some third party that, that arbitrates, excuse me, there's got to be a third party that arbitrates when the trust devolves to the beneficiary or when the guardianship dissolves entirely. Like, uh, how do you judge this? I mean, this is this might be getting a little bit far ahead, but this comes down to when do children get to exercise their freedom, their rights? Right. No, I think it's a really valid question. And I think, and that's why, I mean, technically, which I think is maybe a little bit what Cody was saying too. I don't know if there's any real legal term that fully captures the relationship between a parent and a child. Um, because, I mean, both a trustee and a guardian is a legal relationship of some sort. And I would argue that instead a parent-child relationship is a natural relationship, just like there's natural law. And we've talked about that. Um, that relationship is one of the most like inherent to being a human. There are parents and there are children, and that was not created by government. That relationship um, has always existed from the beginning of humanity. And I view it far more, I mean, it's fun to talk about it in legal terms, but I view it far more as a, a position of responsibility as a parent. And it's also, it's a relationship where the parent is responsible. And of course, we're talking in ideal terms here, but in a relationship where one person is responsible for the care and protection and provision of another person, if it's a relationship, you should have that ongoing conversation and determination of when that person start, other person is old enough or ready enough and willing enough to start exercising their own freedoms independently. And ideally, it's a gradual process because you've created a healthy environment for, for them to do it in. But that brings up the question that that is precisely why sometimes the law does get involved and courts do get involved because not all parents do create that kind of a scenario for their parents, for their children. And right. the law gets brought in. Right. And the relationship that you described, the natural relationship, you know, it, it, the social and cultural context of the relationship is going to matter a lot. Right. Uh, whether or not you move out at 15 versus 18 versus whatever. Right. Uh, that that's going to the social norms are going to matter tremendously in terms of of that relationship. Um, but yeah, you bring up that really strong point. What what happens when the responsibilities that naturally occur are ignored? They don't want it. They say, nah, not not doing this. I, I don't recognize this relationship. Do we just let the child know wither away or do we get involved? And granted, there's always this idea of you know, uh, private enterprises caring for children when their parents will not. Uh, that said, does the state have any legitimate interest in maintaining some sort of foundation for child rearing? Uh, oh no! Hold on. Wait, so, when I mean child, when I mean child rearing, I don't mean interfering in which a parent has accepted responsibility. I'm talking about when the parent has dissolved their responsibility, where they are not taking up responses. Does the state have any legitimate interest in? No, taking on a a, stu a, a, a a ward of the state. Kind of, um, in my view. So I, I would argue that, you know, obviously this is better hand, handled by non-governmental entities. Mm -hmm. um, 
in my trustee relationship, the parent only has the authority to dissolve the trust when it won't uh, result in the, the death of the beneficiary, the child. Um, so a parent can't just negligently decide to, oh, well, I don't want to be a parent anymore. Therefore, I dissolve this contractual relationship, right? You, you don't have the authority to dissolve it at any time. You entered into a binding agreement when Valentine's Day got a little out of hand. Um, and you can choose to dissolve that when the, the <laughs> child can then provide for their own life. Or alternatively, the child has that same authority whenever realistically they wish. So uh, it's, it's a tougher question, right? Because can a five-year-old, like, I hate you, I don't want you to be my parent anymore. Is there agency in that question, right? Or is that just an immediate reaction? And I think that's very, and a 16-year-old going, look, this sucks. I'm moving out. You know, I'm going to go and work at a fish fry and live with Jeff's family, right? So I, I think that there is this natural, because here's the question, right? The state is exists to protect individual rights, right? And one of those individual rights is in a sense life. So if a parent is dissolving this trust relationship when it is going to imminently result in the death of a child, then in our current climate, yes, the state can step in. Um, in a perfect system, I think that that would better, like I said, would be better left to private organizations um, organizations that are, you know, devoted to that sort of protection of life and, and of youth. I think that they're more likely to better manage and, and be better stewards and caretakers. Um, but that's kind of how I would approach that, that issue. And that's kind of how I see it. And Christy, this brings me back to my point from earlier. Um, this still necessitates a third party who oversees the negotiation or the dissolution or, Hell, even the establishment of the trust. Because Cody, you say that the trust, the the agreement, more or less, is agreed upon upon the the personhood of the child. Right now, we are not here, and I know I'm sure plenty of you would like us to have this argument. I know Chrissy would love to just sink her teeth into this. This is how she got her career started. We are not here to talk about the uh, third rail of libertarian politics, which is abortion. It simply can't be solved. It's it's one of those that just can't be. Um, well, because Christy just put her disagreement be. face on. <laughs> now you, now you just know. opened it up for people. <laughs> the only reason I say that, the only reason I say this, because what the, the I think all freedom-loving individuals will say, as soon as personhood is established, they have rights. The question is, when is that personhood established? I have zero interest in getting into that debate. But whenever that so-called contract or agreement code that you come up with. I think you're absolutely right. It does create that binding, uh, that binding relationship. The question is, if a parent decides to ignore or dissolve that relationship, who oversees the dissolution of the trust? And, you know, is it the state? Is it someone else? If there is no one else to allow the state to do it, Cody, you seem to say, yes, if there is no one else, then the state may do it. But is that consistent with true libertarian principles or am I just being a Puritan? Well, I mean, and granted, I'm probably being more so a pragmatist here as as usual. But I think really the 
The only way to have the most consistent standard possible in what happens to a child in a scenario where it's not going well and the child's life is at risk is to have the government step in as a third party because you will have many private parties that if they were to step in, they would do a million times better job than the government. But in the next child situation, you would have a third party claiming interest only to want to jump in and neglect and manipulate and use that child in a far worse way than the parents doing. So because third parties are different based on scenario, whereas the law, when I say the government, I really mean the law, the law can step in and have a solid standard. Like here is the standard at which, you know, I mean, abuse and neglect and all these things are defined in law. And while it is not a perfect system, and I would far rather like a better replacement for the foster care system, for example, that destroys so many children's lives. Um, I mean, my um, sister-in-law has adopted kids or tried to adopt the child actually through the foster care system. And the stories are just, just crazy. Um, so there's got to be a better private oriented solution to these children who are abused and neglected. Um, so I'm not an advocate of the government caring for them. I think that's where we get into a giant mess. But I, so I think private parties and private organizations or other families ideally are the ones who would care for these children, but how do you assign it? How do you figure out that a right is being violated? I think it is the government's responsibility to protect the individual rights of every human being and therefore they kind of have to be. So arbitration or transfer of the trust, uh, right. arbitration or transfer of the trustee role is still left to the law, to the, to the state. Well, so, I don't think there's any other consistent answer. Well, so if it's private corporations, then half of the kids are then abused and neglected. Whereas if we involve government, then at least uniformly, all of the kids are abused and neglected. Cody stole my thunder. This, <laughs> this, this <laughs> is I argue that's the, because the government system is highly um, messed up. But the law, the standard of law, like, and I, when I say the government, I largely mean the law. I think the law should be the deciding factor of when someone's rights are being violated or when they're not. Oh, I, but so the I, system I, is horrible. Well, so oh. I, I think, I don't think you can necessarily divorce them because the government is required to enforce the law and they are the interpretive body. They are the enforcement body. So they're acting under the code. I think the law is problematic as existing because a lot of things are, I mean, CPS has insane authority these oh, days, sure. depending on what I state you're in that. and whatnot, under their oh, yeah. legal authority. And yeah, so a lot of like rulemaking. And see, I have a huge problem with a lot of the rulemaking and the agency rulemaking that gives CPS all their authority. And so I would argue like rules do not have the, well, should not have the power of law. So like, I bet we actually like entirely agree on that. What I'm more so saying is the standard of who is the arbiter of when a right is violated. Like, should be the law, but I'm not arguing that the current laws or the system or the rules are effective or healthy for children at all. In fact, I think there's so much error right now. Chris, I'm so, going to put this out there. I absolutely 100% agree with you. I think that having a, a, a state arbitrator is fine, um, but I'm going to take the hard opposite <laughs> view here. Um, right. You ask who should be the arbiter? Um, the market should be. The market is the arbiter for so many other things. And we as liberty lovers have, have valued the market to solve our problems. Murray Rothbard made the argument essentially that, listen, there's already a market for children. It's just controlled by a monopoly of the state. We should allow for others to buy and sell children. And maybe that might take care of more problems. Will it create certain new problems? Maybe. But will it solve other problems like the monopoly of the state over foster children? Yeah, probably. Probably. 
I don't know if I agree with Murray Rothbard. He was a little out there for me, but I'm going to throw that out there as an alternative to state arbitration and use market arbitration. You have the rare moment that both Christy and I are both (laughs) flabbergasted at this moment. And like, we're both like, what? You can't buy and sell humans. Like that's a base principle. So there's like, no. That's what the state essentially does now. Don't care. They're not allowed to do it. Doesn't just because they do it doesn't mean it's right. You can't buy and sell humans. So first of all, there. (laughs) Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not Rothbardian in this regard whatsoever. Oh, Christy, I got you. Don't worry. Thank you. Thank you. I am not Rothbardian here. But what I'm trying to emphasize is that his idea of a market solution to arbitrating who should or who should not be the guardian of the child is interesting. Um, I think he's flawed in the terms of buying and selling children. I, I'm 100% with you, Coda. That's, 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 that's slavery. I don't know how else to, how else to define it, but no, that's how you define it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Only one way. <laughs> Confirming what I knew. Thank you. But the idea of a non-state arbitrator, like a decentralized market, could, it, it, it interests me. I'm not smart enough to think of a way in which you can have a market arbitration without prices. I don't know how that works, but it intrigues me nevertheless. So I think the main problem I would see in that, and I mean, all ideas are interesting on some level, um, is that, I mean, sorry. That's the deepest bird ever. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) I've been called out. I've been called out. I I have children. I have children. That's my- Christy's here with receipts, guys. But no, I think when we deal with a market, which obviously we're huge fans of because we love liberty and believe in capitalism, but the market also deals in products. And and I think when we use the market to be the arbiter of someone's rights, of a human being's rights, which when we're talking about a child actually surviving and living and having the opportunity to grow up, um, that is a right inherent in being a human being. And the market is only going to be motivated to treat that then as a product and a commodity, whereas even though the government is highly imperfect, the government's role, the role of the law is to protect those inherent rights. Would it be splitting hairs if I said, uh, maybe the thing that's being bought and sold isn't the child itself, but the guardianship, the trustee itself is being bought and sold. Would that be no. any different? I don't think so. No, no, no. no. The, the, re- the reason I ask- getting more children. And the, reason, the reason I ask, right? Uh, slavery as typically understood in this country has been a a highly abusive, highly uh, evil institution. And I'm not, I'm not whatsoever saying that's the case. Again, like I said earlier, Kosi, Grizzly and Cody, I am getting the worst looks ever. I know I am with you. (laughs) I, I agree with you. I've already considered that. I am simply taking positions that are not my own. So please everyone, I don't want to buy and sell people. I just want to explore. <laughs> now, <laughs> if, great clarification ever, <laughs> like no so, to everyone. <laughs> so Cody, <clears throat> you were saying earlier that the trustee in and of itself cannot abuse the rights of those under the guardianship, right? I mean, that's the whole point of the trustee. So if the, if the, if the trustee of the beneficiary, if the trustee cannot hurt them, cannot, deprive them of their essential necessities, rights, liberty, property, and food and housing and all that. If the, if no trustee can do that, then why is buying and selling the trusteeship itself 
not acceptable. Now, granted, there might be psychological factors in which the child might be transferred, bouncing all, all around, and that's problematic, no doubt. But in terms of the dignity and the, the, the rights of the beneficiary, why wouldn't selling the trusteeship itself be acceptable if, the, if no trustee is allowed to violate the rights of the child? Yeah. So what you're still doing, though, is you're still buying a decision-making power over a human being, right? So it's just because a trustee has to manage a trust in a way as to benefit the individual or greatest the greatest benefit, you know, there's discretion in that question. So when you're talking about like a pure trust as, as a lawyer might understand it or an investor might understand it, right? Like if you have a million dollars, you get to decide how to invest that million dollars, how you know best. Um, when you're talking about humans, that's life choices, right? Do you send your kid to private school or public school? Do you let him stay up after 9 p.m.? So when you're talking about buying and selling this parental relationship, you're talking about buying the ability to govern a human being's life. So even though you can't necessarily um, intentionally harm that person, you're still buying decision-making power over that person, which is just gross. Um, and so like, that's, I, I think oh, granted, a, granted, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, again, Stan's like backpedaling so hard. You I'm not backpedaling. Seen. I didn't backpedal. I started <laughs> from a good position. I Then I no. said, let me take a bad position. <laughs> what I, Stan is very much playing the devil's advocate, but Christie's face changed to something I've never seen before. All right, and mama. I went, oh, All right, mama, right bear. Bear. mama Bear, I, I have a question for you. <laughs> so you know, you're talking that you, you hate the current rules and you hate the current system and you want the law to be better about this. If we don't like how the state currently decides who becomes guardian or trustee after the parents are gone, right? Because that, that's kind of the situation we're talking about. The parents have left. They're not in the picture anymore. Trusteeship, guardianship now has to default to someone else. You don't like the current system in which the state decides by some is I don't even know what the what the principal base is. It's next of kin, isn't it? Next of kin with competency, something like that. Sometimes Depends on the state. Yeah. So if it's not going to be a state principle of next of kin who is competent, if that's not the principle, and we're not using a principle of buying and selling the trusteeship, in which case, you know, you might result in someone who hates kids or you might someone who really loves kids. What principle of law do you want to see implemented? by the state. If we want if we want to remove the market from this domain of policy and we want to keep the state and we don't like what the state does currently, what do you want the state to base its decisions on? I mean, honestly, I think it, that's extremely good but very complicated question uh, and very layered, I think, in a real answer. So I'll give a not real answer. Um, but <laughs> no, legitimately, I think because it, it's easy to say, oh, this is so simple. The government should really, the law should just say when there's a clear violation that can be proved through evidence of the child's right and their life is in danger, then the government needs to step in. I mean, you can say that, and I think that's pretty clear cut and simple, but in application, it's not because then you get into like, well, when does the state have the right to come investigate? Like, how does reporting happen? And hence, you have the messed up CPS system that often takes children away from parents who should absolutely be keeping their children and doesn't remove children who then end up dead. So clearly, um, and I would argue, though, it's because their system is too complicated and also I would argue they do need a market influence in the system, just not the market running the system. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. 
there's an organization in Colorado called Project 127. Um, they're actually named after James 127 in the Bible, where it says to take care of orphans and widows. But what they do is they actually, they're so skilled at how they help children and families in the foster care system that they they recruit people basically who are good people who want to help children who are caught up in this bad government system. And they've won the trust of government agencies because they're so skilled at what they do. And so they train people, make sure they know what they're getting themselves into, know how they can care for these children. And basically they just do an amazing job. And the government, like they have a good working relationship with the government where instead of it solely being up to the government, they've created a better system for these children that involves parents, involves training. And, and I guess I'm just saying that we need more things like that, where maybe if the government's the arbitrator, but of a very messed up, confused system, the market needs to get in through nonprofits, largely I would argue nonprofits who care about children and find better answers that the government is going to be compelled to go with because it's so effective. My, my problem is a, a fewfold. First, they operate at the behest of government, right? If Governor Polis decide, well, is it legislative? Is it a legislative grant of authority or exactly? Anyways. You mean CBS? Sorry, you're talking about. Well, no, this, this nonprofit, uh, what was it? What, something 127? Oh, Project 127. Project 127. They operate at the behest of government. If they're working with that CPS system, then CPS can decide tomorrow that they don't want to work with them anymore, right? There's nothing that, I mean, they might have a contract. Well, closely tied, necessarily. Okay. So at the end of the day, all of that authority derives from the state. The decision, like right now, the decision to remove a parent or a child from the home is a state decision. Oh, sure. Yeah, and then, it is. yeah, and then what happens to that child is a state decision. And sometimes that means state control. Other times that means not. But I do not trust the state to be making, to draw these lines, right? So- this goes back to local is always better. In my view, this is going to come back to this kind of core principle of, you know, the first people that should step in our family, right? They're the people that should know best, but that's not always going to work. You know, we live in a world now though, where it's hard to say that in my view, community would be next. Right. And at my school, when I was younger and I worked, so I worked where the YMCA as a day camp counselor for five years. I ran day camps. I had 70 staff and 600 kids a week for 14 weeks. Christy's so shocked. <laughs> She's like, what? You're <laughs> awesome. a softie at heart. <laughs> oh, I'm a huge softie. It's just all, this is all facade. Um, so yeah, I, you, you know, the kids that are in trouble, right? I mean, it's, it's obvious. You can see the kids that are coming in with the same clothes every day. You can see the kids that need lunch every day. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the parent is now neglectful and therefore the kid comes away. And that's where I get, that's where I have the problem with the state. Because when you interject a bright line legal rule, then you either have one or two things. It has to be either so expansive that it covers every situation or you need somebody to interpret that rule to decide where it implies. And when you have that right now, you have that ladder and that's CPS. And they are not, in many states, they are terrible at interjecting in the family. And so then you come to things of, if the state gets to draw the line, what's abuse? Is a spanking abuse? Is a spanking that leaves a mark abuse? Is homeschooling? Is homeschooling abuse? Are you now not socializing your child? Or what if your child comes to you and they're 10 years old and they say, Hey mom, 
you know, I identify as a woman today. And you say, no, you don't. That's not a thing. Is that child abuse? And this was Rothbard's whole problem that any institution of the state that has anything to do with children is going to ultimately be arbitrary. Um, and, and I guess this was my point of taking on the devil's advocate, again, taking on the devil's advocate, is that uh, whether it's a judge or social services or hell, even the legislature making rules based on community. Could be a could be a legislature of city council, doesn't have to be state legislature. Um, there's always going to be this problem of why does the state have this authority and who gave it and, and what gives its authority legitimacy besides democratic vote, um, democratic mm. majority. Oh, we got some got people cleaning next door and they making a rumble. Um but my point is is that, right? It, it doesn't seem like any of us here like the state involvement in this problem. But if we don't want the market, because because Chris, even even Project 127, that's what I'm not, that's amazing. But doesn't the state still assign guardianship? Right. No, they do. They more and granted, they more come alongside the state system that exists and makes it makes it as good as it can be sure and and, guess, and and props to him right that's absolutely that's absolutely a, a, oh a for sure that we need that there's right. no zero zero uh ill, Ill feelings for project 127 i'm just uh, project 127 success is entirely dependent upon local bureaucrats and judges and that they're improving a bad system right i mean they're they're great. making a bad system better which is good but it's still a bad system well, I mean, and I, I would argue that we need people doing different things. So mm. obviously we need people in government, in positions who can actually change the system and reform the system. And I think we actually need, in my view, we need to elect people who are actually dedicated to reforming that system. I've not heard the last time someone running for office had said that's the project they're going to take on. I think we need to find people who are committed to reforming the system. But we all know that reforming anything in law and in government takes thinking forever. So my argument is that while that is happening and it should happen or before it happens, we have to, ex I mean, the system we have is the system we have. And so we need outside organizations coming in and saying, well, instead of leaving it all to the government and just letting these, in many cases, very bad people take charge of these children, we're going to jump in and find good people and train them and make sure that even the families who in some cases have their children taken away um, for bad circumstances are supported and they know how to get their children back. So it's, it's a big system, but I, and I think we need to approach it at, from multiple fronts all at once if we want real reform. I propose we establish a non-governmental community of mothers in every community in the United States. <laughs> and they, uh, as a tribunal, will sit <laughs> and in their free time, their spare time, and uh, indicate whether there is concern. It's my new proposal. Wow. Okay. That reminds me of a comic <laughs> I read about the next new cryptocurrency. Isn't cryptocurrency it's called NanaCoin, in which grandmothers have a a ledger that's handwritten, old cursive, and they are the ones that hand out little little gold <laughs> trinkets and. Anyone can come in like, hey, can I see the ledger? Yes, but you have to have a lemon popper first. So it's just, wow. it's that, that reminds me of that this, kind of See, because this is my, my problem at the end of the day is, uh, when does the state have authority over our lives, right? And and you're interjecting the state into a kind of a familial relationship. And 
you know, if there is a state, the proper role of the state is to protect individual rights and to preserve individual liberty, which includes life. So there needs to be some interjection there. Um, but at what point, and this is where, you know, I don't know that I have a line and I don't, and this is why I dislike this idea of bright line law, because then bright line law leads to interpretive rule or is worse because at what point in this trustee or guardianship relationship is, are you at such a point that you are violating individual right or individual liberty? I mean, once you get to the point of life, it's a lot clearer of a question, right? Like if you're endangering a child's life in a legitimate way, that's a much easier thing to decide. Um, it's still a tough question for some people, right? Of like, look, we're so destitute, you know, we're in such a bad spot that I can't afford heating bills. And yeah, my, my child's cold, but like, what am I supposed to do? So there, there are, it's, there are gray areas. This is tough. Um, but where I get real skeptical is at what point are you violating that, that individual, that child's light rights to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, those things. And why do we trust the state to step in and draw that line? And that's where I'm increasingly skeptical. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that's a tough, it certainly has led to a lot of bad situations. Um, I think it's, I think just the hugest question for me is I don't like the system and the current lines but without a bright line of some sort, then it becomes extremely arbitrary. And almost, if you think the state has to step in sometimes, there's no bright line, then is it more dependent on that particular government individual and the, that particular judge's biases? If that judge thinks homeschooling is neglect, well then acts to that parent. If that judge thinks, you know, I mean, a whole host of things. And then, and I just believe, uh, I, I, perhaps I'm, I'm an idealist as well as a pragmatist, but I believe in like, consistency of law. And so that's why I tend to the side of like a bright line in the law instead of more arbitrary individual decision-making. But I'm not like, I guess, confident that that's a great solution either. And this is where the tribunal of mothers steps in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause so, I mean, this is the, the problem there is I'm making a joke, but it's, it's right. determining community standards, right. Too, because a parental relationship, I mean, look, I grew up in Southern California and then moved to Canada when I was 13, 12 and a half ish. Like a good parent in Southern California was very different than a good parent in rural Canada, right? Like in San Diego, kids were getting stolen out of malls. So like, understandably parents didn't let their kids go to the bathroom alone, right? And this was like a thing when I was like 12, like there was a bunch of kidnappings at malls and like a lot of kids would go to the bathroom and they would snag them as they're on their way out of the bathroom. Huge problem. That's actually um, why my parents moved from California when I was oh. three is because kids were getting stolen out of their yards and gas stations. Yeah. So, well, well any like, example of why I will never live in that. Well, state. that's, I mean, that's Stanton's problem, right? If you make it a illegal market, then the black market will rise. So he couldn't buy and sell children. <laughs> Poor Stanton. I mean, you make it a legal market, it's oh, on the man. open. Uh, <laughs> This is the episode that tanks so, us. But anyways, so, right, so. God. Hey, what, what, wait, wait, wait. Like, you mean like the past four having it, aren't going to take us? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, so, and then when I got to Canada, right, like, 
a 13 year old was going to the mall by themselves and was maybe getting home by 6 p.m. Like, so it's hard to establish what's childhood. Like, what's is that child? That may have been an abusive relationship in California if you let your kid wander off till six, but certainly wasn't in rural Canada. So that's it's really tough. And then once you institute government and you go up to these highest levels, that's where you get really problematic. So I'm, uh, I'm ever the kind of libertarian position, right? Christie's offering like real solutions on how to make solution, like how to solve problems. And I'm like, yeah, but here's more problems. Why don't you solve those? Um, so I, Christy, I think you're right. I think we need to pragmatically pragmatism is the way of the devil, but we oh, need, thank you. <laughs> I said this like a couple episodes ago and multiple people have like glommed onto this, but um, we can resolve, like we can make the, the current system better. But I think ultimately we need to remove as much of the state from that conversation. I think we would agree on that point. Um, We might not necessarily agree on how to get from point A to C, but I think we probably agree on C. And then I think there might be a point D that you might not be willing to go quite as far. (laughs) (laughs) Likely true. And then you got Murray Rothbard way down on like G. <laughs> yeah, I, apparently I skipped that part of Rothbard because that's a that's a he he basically yeah, and, I, and he might have been doing it tongue in cheek a little bit, but his whole point was if there's already there's already a, a quasi market for children now monopolized by the state, he sees he's you know and might as well add some competition into that and that might improve the state of children uh, or the condition of children. But like I said, that was that's one of his far out ones where I'm like, yeah, I don't think so, Murray. I don't think so. Um, so. Before Christy stabs me with her eyes more for <laughs> these ideas, because her eyes just, her, it, it's instinctual. I don't know if you realize, but your eyes just kind of go, oh, big and big and wide. And But it's not like interest wide. It's like, I can't believe you'd say that wide. So, Christy's going to well, go in like. Like they really are. <laughs> so sorry. Not only Christy, my own. Just and, God bless, <laughs> and God bless parents. God bless them all. You know, we just had, uh, just had Mother's Day. Father's Day is coming up. Um, so happy parental units day to all respective parental units. Um, Christy's going to go and like hug her kids right after this. And they're definitely going for ice cream tonight. She's like, you can't imagine the conversation I had to suffer through for an hour. I feel so bad for you too. I'm getting you ice cream and you're not going to the bathroom by yourself. Get them dairy queen and I'll Venmo you for having to deal with this. (laughs) Oh, parents are vital to raising children and children are key to our future and to humanity in general. Um, The nature of the relationship between a parent and a child is complex, though some might say simpler than it should be or more complex than it should be. But whatever the relationship is, it's important and getting it right matters. Um, I don't know if we've gotten it right, but I think one of us, Christy, has gotten it right. this has been a lot of fun. This whole great debate series has been a lot of fun. Um, we'll, we'll see if we can't find other controversial topics that we can rip open. We're hoping next time that we can do something um, currently in the news. Um, but before we sign off, Christy, Cody, got any shout outs or any tidbits you want to say? I'll have to bring up my own mother. Like, hey, <laughs> she always, my the best thing about her of many is that she always feeds me 
way more <laughs> than she should but hey I seriously cannot stop eating when I go to her house I'm like mom I'm gonna gain another five or ten pounds from all of your hot chocolate and she's like the best baker in the world oh, like, yeah. seriously so this is why I um believe in the importance of parents because I had the best ones out there and um I would literally uh probably not do the things I do if it were not for my mom so I love her can't follow that that's not fair you can't go first and then just like mic drop walk off and be like yeah i'm good to go no big deal um you usually have the better ones <laughs> chrissy's shining this episode she's crushing the rest of us um no i actually had so i had kind of thought about my shout out so that's why i'm not going to follow the appropriate theme here but uh one of my friends actually from california texted me today uh, mark and uh complimented us on the podcast so he's a uh, a SoCal boy um, living out there, kind of not a political guy necessarily, but definitely exploring uh, the ideals. And so it was, it was cool to hear from him today. Glad he enjoyed the podcast. So Mark, thank you. Appreciate it. Much love. Uh, and hopefully we've helped people decide whether or not they have a trustee or guardianship over their kids today. There's no like practical help of this episode. Is there like, no one's walking out of here being like, Oh, well now I know how to solve parenting. Got it. We didn't (laughs) even get, we didn't even get to the point of a colleague of mine. Um, I don't know if he listens to the show or not. He, he has this really, really interesting opinion where being a good parent means being a bad person. Yeah. Oh, I've heard, I've heard something like this. Maybe we were talking about this or Uh, yeah. It. Okay. Last comment of the show. And then we'll sign off. (laughs) The basic premise, and I'm not going to dig into it. The basic premise is this. If the freedom of another human being, if freedom is the basis of morality, of our interaction with one another, being a good parent, which is to say making decisions for children and helping them learn decisions, denying them certain options because it's bad for them. If a child ever expresses a statement of autonomy that is contrary to good parenting, and you enforce good parenting, you have violated their freedom, hence violating a principle of morality, hence making you a bad person. I think it's a very strange opinion. I think it's a very interesting opinion because all ideas are interesting, right, Christy? (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to drop it. (laughs) Beat you to it. Listen, next time we're going to talk about something that's current in the news. There's a lot of things that are going on. We don't know exactly what it'll be, but it'll probably be self-evident. And it will likely be forgotten. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SCF underscore pod as well as Facebook. And you can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you can listen. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time. <laughs>